0: Man, what, <laughs> my voice is a little crazy right now because Pastor Scott ruined me by putting those songs in the worship set because, oh my goodness, you know, it, um, it never amazes me to think about What heaven is going to be like? (laughs) If I could just take a little moment, (laughs) Um, you know, I I know for some of us in the room, you would, you would find yourself in moments where it's like, man, like Pastor Brian, I'm just, maybe I'm just not as as expressive as you, and maybe a few others. And you may say, Pastor Brian, like, I I just, I'm just not as comfortable. Can I I just tell you there's nothing about comfort. If you'll just allow this thought, this one thought, and every time I'm worshiping, this is kind of what comes out of me, that God is crazy, madly in love with me, and therefore my heart can't do anything else but just worship him. Like, Regardless of whether the song, now I I will say this, when the worship team is in a heart of unity together and stuff, you can tell. And what I've been watching is I've been watching Pastor Scott lead the team, and I've been seeing this unity come among them and each and every one of them, and and they they use their talents and their gifts, but it's more than just talents and gifts. It's a heart of unity where God is unifying together. And then when we join in worship with them, I, I... The word picture that Pastor Ron had there that the Lord gave him of just like this beacon of light, I'm telling you like that is exactly what would happen if many of us would just allow that thought to resonate in our lives and then just just to come out. Now listen, sometimes an expressive part of worship for me is I literally sit down in my seat because I'm just overcome with the presence of God. Just that's, that's where it is. So I'm not saying that everything in worship has to be this, this demonstrative, you know, like just, I mean, like your hands are up. But, but I'm telling you, it shouldn't be always just this. And it shouldn't always just be this. There, there should be different moments of us engaging in God's presence. Why? Because C- let me tell you this. As sons and daughters of the king, which m- many of us in this room have a personal relationship with Christ. And those who have a personal relationship with Christ, let me challenge you with with this. Like, in heaven, I believe that is exactly what we'll be doing is we will be lifting our voices to heaven, and we'll be declaring that he is king. And there will be moments where you'll just, nothing more than just bowing down. There'll be moments where you'll be dancing. There'll be moments when your hands will be upraised. There'll be moments when you'll be singing, and there'll be moments when you'll be "Like, Like, heaven is going to be just such an incredible, incredible place. Because why? Because we're in the presence of God. And what God does is many times he gives us glimpses of his presence. Like Moses asked the Lord, he said, God, I, I want to I experience your presence. And God said to Moses, he said, Moses, listen to me. Like my, my presence is too much. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass by you. And then when I pass by, I'm going I'm to hold, I'm going to cover you. And I'm going to pass by and then. Once, once my presence is gone, I'm going to pull my, my covering back from you. You're just going to experience the intros. You're just going to experience kind of the residue of my presence. And Moses does that, and he comes off the mountain, and his face is shining. Like, I mean, like he experiences the fullness of who God is, which is incredible. But remember, Moses did not have a personal relationship with Christ because Christ had not hung upon the cross. He had not died upon the cross. So so what Moses was experiencing was the presence of God from the outside. What you and I as followers of Christ, New Testament believers, get to experience now is the presence of God on the inside. So if David danced before the Lord and just gave his everything. Why would we not as followers of Jesus just give him our everything? This is, sometimes it's just an act of surrender of God said, God, listen, my week <laughs> has been a rough week, but here's the thing, God. Whether my week was a good week or a rough week, it does not matter. You are still king and you are still Lord. And I wonder how many of us in many ways find ourselves like that of a hidden figure. This, that's what this whole series is about, is, is a hidden figure. And I, I think about hidden figures throughout our church that worship and, and just are just calling out, I think of many of our prayer warriors. There are, do you know there are people every gathering who would be fulfilling a role of intercessory prayer? That means that they're praying throughout this entire gathering that you and I, me included, that we would experience the presence of God that he would speak to our hearts and lives, that walls would be torn down, that obstacles that are in the way would be pushed to the side because we know our battle is not a physical battle, but our battle is a spiritual battle. And so there are people right now who are interceding and praying for this gathering, praying that God's presence would fall in this place. And they have been hidden figures for years. For years. No one even knew. They would sit in the back. They'd go up to the prayer room, and they would just intercede and pray and just believe for God to do something in this place. And and I wonder how many of us are sitting here in this room and we're experiencing moments like this because of a hidden figure. Because someone decided that they were going to pray down strongholds. Someone decided they were going to bust through some things in the spirit realm, and they were going to believe for God to do something. And, And every week I told Pastor Scott this. I said, man, I said, sometimes I think it just Can it get better? And yet the next week it's just like, oh my goodness! Like to be in God's presence with other believers, like it's incredible. I I want our young people to hunger and thirst, like, man, please just allow us to be in God's presence. Man, I just, I I want them to, to see them hungering and being like, man, can you teach us from God's word? Can we dig into it? Can we go a little deeper tonight? Because why? Because I believe this, that God has a plan and purpose for our lives. And that plan and purpose unfolds when we begin to learn and read God's word. Because why? It's the roadmap for our life. It's the very thing that helps us in taking the next step. What is the next step? What does it look like to go one step closer in your marriage? I was sitting down for breakfast this week with just a dear friend of mine. And uh, his relationship with Christ is in an unknown place he's exploring his relationship with Christ and we were sitting down and at the end of the conversation he asked me just a simple question I wonder if you're here to convert me or are you here because you just want to be friends and I looked at him and I said well kind of both I said, I want to be your friend, and I said, that is absolutely the truth, but I said, here's the thing, I've experienced something that's really good in my life, and I want you to experience that same thing. See, earlier in the conversation, him and I were talking, and I told him about this certain stake that I had had, and it was really, I mean, just like a -a once-in-a-lifetime type opportunity. I had this stake, and it was just phenomenal, and he knew what I was talking about, and we're sharing back and forth, and I'm just like, man, it's just so good, and at the end of it, you know, we our conversation went later. And then at the end of the conversation, he had asked me that question. And I looked at him and I said, it's just like this. I said, you know, I, I want you to experience how good this steak was. And I said, the reason I want you to experience it is because it it was so good. Like, so I can't help but tell you about it. So I said, honestly, like, I'm here because I want to be friends with you. I enjoy hanging out with you and being a part and and having this friendship. But I said, also, I've experienced something really, really good with God. And I want you to experience that same thing. And he looked across from me and he said, that totally makes sense. You see, I believe the world around us is looking for people who will love God in a way that will be contagious to where we literally say, listen, I'm not doing this out of force. I'm, not, I'm just doing this because, listen, I have experienced something that is so incredible in my life that I can't help but tell you about it. So your coworkers, your family members, it isn't out of, it isn't out of duty. It is out of literally, like, I can't help but tell you about the goodness of God. Like, I just, I just can't. It, like, it is just, it is so good. And I would say this, among our church, there are hidden figures. And, and it's crazy how many people really related to this hidden figure concept of the series that we've started. People come to me and say, Pastor Brian, I feel like I'm kind of one of those hidden figures. Because it's interesting when you look at hidden figures, it's, it's this idea that among these heroes of faith that many times we read about, that there are these hidden figures. In fact, the person that the two people we're going to talk about today, what you're going to see is without them, another incredible hero of faith never happens. Their story never hits the pages of history without these two individuals. They're hidden figures. They're obscure they're hidden in the background of the pages of history, yet their stories and the lives they live are not only life-changing, but they're also impactful around them. These hidden figures are owed a, a, a debt of gratitude for many of us here. They're hidden figures. They just, they just make it happen. I, I think of a hidden figure who this week, you know, we had that crazy ice storm, right? And so uh, we had a tree out front that kind of split right down the right whole trunk of the tree and this big old branch came off and everything was sitting out there and uh, immediately as I saw it and everything there was a name of a hidden figure who, that came to my mind and I was sitting there and immediately I was like man I need I need to call that person and see if they would take care of it so I called they didn't answer their phone but I just left them a message and said hey I was wondering if you could come and take care of this and I just I knew I could count them for that What's crazy is uh, just a few minutes later, I actually got a phone call from Van Ertz. And that's our snow plowing company. They said, hey, we're going around and we're cleaning up everything. And they said, we'd love to clean up the, you know, tree limb. And I see you got, you know, a tree that kind of fell in the front yard, you know. Like, would you want us to clean it up? And I said, well, how much is that going to cost? And he told me the cost. And I said, oh, well, I actually have somebody else who I've asked to do it. But I knew that they were a hidden figure that could take care of it. What's crazy is, is not only did I know that, but Pastor Dan, he ended up calling that same person. Pastor Ron called that same person, because we knew that that person's one of those hidden figures. His name is Randy Biggins. Randy is someone who, if you don't know, he serves normally first gathering kind of back over here, and he's a greeter, and man, that guy just has a big, huge heart. He's helped me with various things and projects at my house. I had a big tree that we were trying to take down and he helped take that down and and then he would come every day and he'd load up his trailer and he'd take that wood away for me and just said pastor i want to be a blessing to you i was like can i help no no pastor you there are things that you need to be doing and this is what i want to be doing it you see a hidden figure recognizes that it's not about being up front in front of everybody but it's about supporting the mission that god has and our church is filled with hidden figures like randy And I am forever grateful for those individuals, those prayer partners, those people who just continue to find themselves in the hidden places. Now when we look at this idea of being hidden, one of the things that we would see here by definition, the word hidden is this. It's being out of sight or not readily apparent, obscure, unexplained, or undisclosed. And the question comes to my mind once again, the same question I asked last week, and that is this, has you, have you ever felt out of sight? Have you ever felt obscure? Have you ever felt unexplained or undisclosed? You See, I think for many of us, we look at the heroes of faith around us and we say, I want that story, but what we forget to remember is the story of the hidden figures that supported the story of the hero of faith. And just as much as that story of the hero of faith is big, the story of the hidden figure is just as impactful. Here's another question. Have you ever at work been doing a job, and you were asked to do a job, but you knew that it wasn't right? Like someone asked you to do something that you knew wasn't right. Anybody in the house, you've been asked to do something you... few hands around the room here's another question have you ever been asked to look the other way while something wrong was happening anybody come on you've been asked yeah I remember being in sales and I remember guys around me actually doing things that were unethical and twisting the truth and kind of just stretching a lie quote-unquote and I remember watching that and at one point in time I became a supervisor and I answered for that And I would constantly go to the people that worked underneath me and I would say to them, listen, it's not worth the integrity of this company so you can get a sale. It's more important, our integrity, than it is your sale. And though that helps me in the long run, it doesn't help me in the long run when you're actually taking moments where the integrity of the company is continuing to drop. Here's two individuals inside of the scriptures that first gathering... There was only two people who knew their names. And so here we go. Just by a show of hands here today, how many of you have ever heard of two ladies in the Bible named Shipra and Pua? Boom, one, two, three. You were first gathering already. You don't count. No, I'm just joking. Okay, here's the thing. I mean, she she does count. She does count. Sorry. Don, Don, she counts, she counts. Don't worry, she counts. Here's the biggest thing that I want to draw your attention to is that many of us, these are very unknown ladies. Their story is very unknown, but yet they set the stage and because of their obedience to God, actually set the stage for another great hero of faith, his story to actually unfold. Now their story comes right out of the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus and we're going to look at chapter 1. To set the stage here, we see that Joseph, who has had the favor of Pharaoh, the children of Israel are multiplying their are in the favor of God in their lives. Pharaoh uh, has seen how Joseph actually saved the nation from famine, all these different things. So, so in the eyes of Pharaoh, Joseph has, like, has extreme, extreme favor. But as Joseph has gotten older, Pharaoh has passed away. There's a new Pharaoh, new moment. And uh, I can almost guarantee you that these two ladies right here that we're getting ready to talk about have ended up on the short list of most people. Um, And yet the nation of Israel owes an extreme, extreme debt of gratitude to Shipra and Puyah. Now, these two, I know their names are a little different here, um, but these two individuals um, were midwives, And they were assigned to attend to the Israelite women during childbirth in the years preceding the Exodus. Now, if you know anything about the history that's happening here, and if you don't, I'll kind of walk us through a little bit, and that's fine. I don't say that in judgment. If you don't know, I'm just... um, Is that we would see that Joseph has been experiencing the favor of the king, and the, and, or Pharaoh. So the Israelites enjoyed fair, uh, favor before Pharaoh, before his court. And the Israelites' population has been increasing. But what has happened is, is now there's a new Pharaoh. And what has happened is, is he has become paranoid. The children of Israel are growing at great leaps and multitudes. And so here's what we read, Exodus Chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, many scholars have kind of looked at this part of not knowing Joseph. Is it because there's been quite some time that's gone? It could be that. So maybe he didn't know. But chances are he probably knew because it would have been recorded throughout history. But what many scholars believe is is that he did not know Joseph and the children of Israel like the previous pharaohs did. He did not know them with favor. He just knew who they were and saw them more as subjects to help him accomplish his plans rather than people to be in partnership and people to actually see the blessings come upon because when those people were blessed, his nation was blessed, he didn't see them in that way. And so what Pharaoh says is he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. He's like, man, there's just too many of them. Now many scholars believe that around this time there could have been two million children of Israel. There could have been two million people who were part of the children of Israel. So this incredibly, incredibly vast amount of people. So Pharaoh Because he doesn't control his mind and because he gets paranoid and allows all these thoughts to come in, the scriptures tell us this, he says, come let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and if war breaks out they join our enemies and they fight against us and then they escape from the land. He gets all paranoid that there's so many of them. What happens if, if we get attacked, and then all of a sudden those people begin to like turn their backs on us, and, and then they they go with our foes, and then all of a sudden our foes are are being we need to do something about this. And what we see right off the bat is Pharaoh was paranoid. Pharaoh had issues. <laughs> Goes on to say, therefore. They set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built Pharaoh's store cities, Pythium and Ramesses. But then the scripture goes on. It says, but, but, the more they were oppressed. So the more hardships that came their way, the more challenges, the more obstacles, the more that things weren't going the way that the children of Israel wanted it to go, the, the more that they encountered struggles, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. The more they experienced the blessings of God, the more they experienced his favor. See, children during this time were considered a great favor. In fact, if you, were, if you were a woman who had a lot of children, you were seen as someone who the eyes of the Lord had shone down upon. Like, like, that's a big thing. Like, man, look at the children that you have produced. How incredible. And so, if they were being oppressed and yet still multiplying, they were experiencing the favor of God upon their lives. They were the favor of God upon their nation as it was continuing to grow. And, and what the scripture says, it goes on to say, the more they spread abroad. So now they're, they're starting to have influence in all these other places around them. Why? Because there's so many of them. They're having influence in, in the, probably the local governments. They're having influence on the towns. They're having influence on the areas around them. And the Egyptians, the scriptures say, were in dread of the people of Israel. So they were, not only was Pharaoh beginning to freak out, but now the Egyptians were following after their leader. And they began getting worried, they're they're in dread, oh my goodness, there's so many of them. What's happening, man, they're just experiencing, they're popping out babies like crazy. Now can I just say this real quick, I, I probably shouldn't, but I'll say it anyways, but but the children of Israel are having a lot of great sex. Some of you are like, see, you shouldn't have said it. But I'm just telling you, oppression came, oppression was coming at them, obstacles were coming at them. They're like, what are we going to do? Let's just make some babies. And you may say, Pastor Brian, you don't know that that happened. Well, how else did they have kids? And if you need me to talk to you more about that, the prayer team will be down up front afterwards. I'd be happy to explain that. <laughs> so, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and bricks and in all kinds of work in the fields, and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah, and the other Pua. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them at the stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. So here, here uh, Shippa and Pua are actually given a command by Pharaoh. Now, it wasn't that Shippa and Puah were the only midwives out of the children of Israel. No, there was others. But many scholars say that they were probably in charge of the other midwives. So they would have been the ones who would have said, Listen, here's here's how this is going to go. These are how these moments are going to have. They had great influence in these moments. And they're instructed by Pharaoh to kill the child during childbirth. Basically, to look at mom, and here's the, here's the crazy, deceitful part of it: is that what was happening was, is as the child was, was, as the mother was giving birth, the midwife would control whether that child would live or not. And so, basically, what Pharaoh was asking for the midwife to do was to kill that baby, to basically abort that baby during childbirth, and then to look at mom and say, I'm sorry, but your son has passed away. But then to look at, if it's a girl, and say, you have a baby girl. It wasn't after that. It was before, during the childbirth moment. Let's get back to the scriptures. Here's what it says. But the midwives feared God. They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Shippa and Pua actually set the stage for Moses to be born. Listen, had they not followed what God had told them and instructed them to do, had they followed Pharaoh's word, Moses would have never been born. There would have never been the baby in the basket floating down the Nile River. There never would have been the moment of let my people go. There never would have been the moment of the parting of the Red Sea. Why? Because there was a hidden figure who didn't do their job. But because these two hidden figures, these two women, chose to fear God over fear of man, they actually set the stage for the children of Israel to actually experience deliverance from the nation of Egypt. Come on, you don't think what you're doing matters? You don't think those silent, hidden things that no one sees matter? They matter. Shippah and Pua were just midwives, but they chose to fear God. Scriptures go on to say this. So the king of Egypt, so some time goes by, he finds out that all of a sudden there's still male children being born. It says, he called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. And what we're going to see here in a moment is we're going to see great wisdom come from these ladies. So as the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Which then also speaks to once a child's been born they know they can't take it from them so there was all this deceit in the midst of that whole story because they were trying to kill the babies prior to the moms ever knowing so the moms would have thought oh man i just lost my son it's just a natural cause deceit the enemy is no dummy but here's what the scriptures go on to say it says so god dealt with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong So in the midst of opposition, in the midst of all the struggles, the people continued to multiply, and they continued to grow strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. He blessed them with the very thing that they were trying to bring. They were trying to bring life into the world and hadn't experienced it themselves. But what God did is because they feared him, because they chose to follow after him, he said, I'm going to bless you too. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So then Pharaoh once again, and which brings us up to the story of Moses, where he's placed in the basket rather than being killed. And Moses is then, his story unfolds, this great hero of faith. You see, what we see here is we see Two women who were God-fearing, who were also wise. They recognized their responsibility to obey their leader, but they also understood that God's law superseded man's law. See, they understood Look, God's law supersedes man's law. So listen, if this, if this is an issue of God's law versus man's law, God's law wins every time. They knew that they could not sin against God by killing the Hebrew babies. They had no way of knowing that their risky decision, their their decision to follow after God and to obey him, they had no way of knowing that it would actually spare the life of Moses, who was God's ordained deliverer of the children of Israel. They put their lives on the lines by being hidden figures behind the scenes for those children, and in their moments of bravery, they prompted God to smile upon their courage and smile upon their commitment and say, listen, you are now blessed, and he gave Gave them families of their own. Shippah and Pua are actually powerful reminders of hidden figures who simply trusted God. Though obscure, by example, did what was right, no matter what the cost. Four four things real quick. If you're taking notes uh, in your handout here, there's just four simple things I want you to write down today. And I think they could be really beneficial for you to go back and to think about them this week. Just four simple thoughts on this passage that we see of two obscure, hidden figures, Shippa and Pua. The first is this, is don't let opposition get you down. Don't let opposition get you down. There will be obstacles, there will be troubles, there will be things that will come at you, but don't let opposition get you down. The second thing is this, is fear God no matter the cost. Fear God no matter the cost. No matter what's going on, fear God. Rather than fear man, fear God. No matter the cost. The third is this, is exercise wisdom. I'm not talking about just having wisdom. I'm talking about exercising wisdom, actually putting it into practice, exercising it, actually allowing that wisdom to flow out of your life. And that's what we see from these women as we see them putting into action, exercising wisdom. And then the last thing that we see here is do what's right no matter the cost. Do what's right no matter the cost. This first thought that we're exploring here is don't let... Opposition gets you down. Verse 12 of this passage here in Exodus says, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. See, what sometimes happens is is we allow our circumstances to determine our response instead of allowing our position as a child of God to determine our response. We look at the obstacles. We look at the circumstances of life around us and and we determine how our day will go. How's your day going? Well, not so good. Why? Well, this happened today. And what happens is, is we respond to our circumstances instead of responding to our place in God. When we don't allow our circumstances to control us, what we say is we say to our enemies, listen, I need you to recognize something. Greater is he that is in me than the obstacles that are in this world. Greater is he that is in me than the problems that are around me. Greater is he that is in me than my circumstances. No, greater is Christ who is living inside of me than anything that I would ever face. And I wonder how many of us need to speak up in life and in the midst of the opposition we need to start speaking life rather than death and we need to start speaking out the promises of God upon our lives instead of speaking out the the curses. We need to say, God, no, your word says this, and this is what I'm decreeing over my life. This is what I'm decreeing over my children. This is what I'm decreeing over my family. This is what I'm decreeing over my workplace. This is what I'm decreeing over my marriage. And we begin to look to God's word, and we make declarations, because there will always, always, always be people who will be against us. There's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be stuff that's going to happen. But don't let opposition get you down. But be people who in the midst of circumstances that are overwhelming, in the midst of things that aren't going right, be people who are united in faith. Who say, no, no. No, God is so much greater. The prophet Isaiah recorded the words of God in Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17 when the Lord spoke to his heart that no weapon that is formed against you will prosper and every tongue that accurses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. What the prophet Isaiah was realizing and recognizing is listen, there is nothing out there that the enemy has crafted that is greater than the god who i serve. There's nothing. Jesus said it this way. John 16:33 he said, "I have told you these things so that in me, which is the key, you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But what? But take heart. I have overcome the world." You'll have opposition, you'll have challenges, you'll have things that will come at you, but Jesus is once again reminding, listen, in me, in me, and that's the thing as New Testament believers, come on, we gotta remember this. We read about all these people throughout the pages of scripture in the Old Testament. Listen, they did not have a personal relationship with Christ like you and I have. They knew of who God was. They had seen the handiwork of God. You and I get to experience a personal relationship with Christ. I think sometimes we think when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, Moses, can you tell me what it's like? What was it like to be there and standing there at the Red Sea and put your, your staff down in the waters part? What was that like? I think Moses is going to be looking at you and mean like, what was it like to have Jesus living in you? What was it like to have the Holy Spirit, like to, it, to be empowered to go and do the work? What was that like? I think Moses is lining up to talk to people like that. Because why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus said it, listen, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome. Paul said it this way, Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome with evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. Come on. You and I have Christ living in us. You and I can do good things. We're preparing right now for good to great, which is a moment where we as a church come together and we do random acts of kindness on a good Friday. And we turn people's good Friday into a great Friday. And man, there's preparation happening. All these things are happening for But can I just tell you, those good acts, apart from Christ, will just be good acts. But man, you tag those up with Christ, man, it's unstoppable. And what God does is he overcomes evil with the good. So listen, don't let opposition get you down. The second thing is this, is fear God no matter the cost. In Exodus it says, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. And I wonder this, why do we fear man more than we fear God? And a lot of people calling us today. Why do we fear God more than we fear man? Because here's what I know about fear of man. Fear of man can immobilize us when we should be taking action. The fear of man can actually gag us into silence when we should be speaking. The fear of man in many ways presents itself as this powerful thing, but yet the power is actually very deceptive. And sometimes I think we look at it and we go, I, 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 we give The enemy more credit than what he should really be getting. We give the enemy more credit because we think that he's more powerful than he is. Come on, listen. He loses, guys. And the power that he presents as supposedly having is almost every time deceptive. Now, why? Well, because he's the author of lies, he's the deceiver. So he's not going to come with us with the reality. He's going to come at us with deceit. And he's going to try to present himself as more powerful. But that's why you and I should be people of God who should look at those things that we're facing and we should say, nah, I fear God more than I fear man. The Bible tells us this, that the fear of man lays as a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So if we put our trust in the Lord and have a healthy fear of God rather than a fear of man, then what happens is is that snare no longer comes against us. We, it, the snare is actually foiled. The enemy finds himself being caught in his own trap. The Hebrew word here for snare refers to traps hunters would use to catch animals or birds. And snares are a dangerous thing. If we get caught, we must do whatever it takes then to free ourselves. But God has given us the power to free us, and he actually wants us to be living in a safe place of freedom where we can trust him. But he frees us not by removing our fear of disapproval, but actually transferring it to the right place. See, so many times we're so worried about what other people think. What will this person think? And we have this fear of man rather than having a fear of God. And typically, that fear keeps us because it presents itself in false ways from experiencing the power of God in our lives. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 says it this way, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. For what? For your good. A healthy fear of the Lord. James says it this way in James 4:7. He says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Paul says it this way, he says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. What is God in the business of doing? God is in the business, if we will fear him, of actually conquering our fears of man. The third thing is this, is exercise wisdom. Now these two women, unknown, hidden figures, Shippa and Pua, actually show us, what it means to exercise wisdom see when the king comes to them so the king of Egypt called to the midwives and said why have you done this and let the male children live what they could have responded with is this they could have looked at Pharaoh and said murderer you are wrong the scriptures declare it you're in sin turn from your wicked ways you are a crazy man And they would have had every right to do that. And it would have been true. But they actually exercised wisdom in that moment. See, so many times as Christians, what we love to do with those who aren't a part of the, you know, the family, is we look at them and we actually scream at them, like almost with hate in our hearts. You're wrong! What are you thinking? Why are you doing it this way? And we're not exercising wisdom. We're saying truth, but it's definitely not wise. What Shippa and Pua actually show us is they show us two people who look at the king and they have wisdom and they're like, Well, king, I mean, the reason why. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they're vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes. Did that probably happen? Probably did happen a few times. Were they exercising wisdom in this moment? Yeah, they were. They were looking at Pharaoh, and they were telling him something with wisdom in their hearts. And here's here's what I would say. We need to exercise wisdom. Now, in Proverbs, we see um, the words of Solomon being given as words of wisdom. In fact, Proverbs chapter 1, if we look at verse 1, says this. For the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the young knowledge and desertion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And what we're going to see here is we're just going to walk through Proverbs a little bit, and we're going to see how the fear of the Lord is connected to wisdom, how both of these work together. And that's what we see in the lives of Shippa and Puah. They actually show us that the fear of God actually leads to wisdom in their lives. So they exercise wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says this, But not, or be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Chapter 3, verse 13, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. 9, 10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. 14, 1, the wise woman built her house with her own hands. The foolish one tears hers down. 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. 19.20, listen to the advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever it rests satisfied, he will not be visited by harm. 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. You see, when we exercise wisdom, We open ourselves to the blessings of a heavenly father who comes to us and says, you have a healthy fear of the Lord and I have blessings that you know not of. Sometimes I think what happens though is we forget to fear God. When I was a kid growing up, I remember having a healthy fear of my parents, a healthy fear of My pastor. I actually had a I actually had a little fear towards my pastor. I was always hey, that's actually my phone, isn't that crazy? (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) I never have my phone on me either. Like (laughs) like anyways, sorry. Sorry about that. (laughs) Pick it up, yeah. Um Yeah, I totally lost my, okay, here we go, this is, James, oh, anyways, when I was a kid, I, so I had this healthy fear of, of just, you know, my pastor, I had a healthy fear of my parents and different things, and it wasn't because I, I, I looked at my pastor and looked at him in a way of, like, he was bad or anything like, I just, I had this healthy fear of, like, this is a man of God that I actually want to show respect to, and my parents taught me at a young age to show respect to those in authority in my life whether my grandfather, whether my parents, whether those in authority, and and, and just, let me just talk to this for just a second. I believe one of the greatest attacks of the enemy is this, is the enemy is trying to tear down a healthy view of authority in our lives. So what's happening is, is that the younger generation is being told, listen, don't, don't listen to those in authority. Come on, be yourself. Be who you are. You don't need to listen to them. You don't need to listen to any of that. You don't need that wisdom. You, like, come on, just you have everything you need. In fact, the enemy is coming in and whispering into our young Christian, their lives and saying, listen. Just, you've got to create something new. You've got to be something new. And yet, what God is saying is listen, I have placed people in authority over your life. And it, when you will honor those in authority, what will happen is you will receive a blessing in your life. I've seen it. And that what, that's what it means to have a healthy fear of God. Look, I, I would never have come against my pastor, the pastors I've worked for. I would have never come against them in some of the ways. You know why? Because I have a healthy fear of God. I ain't messing with God's anointed. He answers to God for that. So when I was working for Dave Williams, there was things I didn't agree with all the time. But you know what my job as a staff member was? My job was to support Pastor Dave and to lift his hands up. And here's the thing. I never knew the full story of why he was making the decisions he made. But you know who did? God. And one day... Dave Williams will stand before God for the decisions he made. He'll make an account for that, not me. My job is just to support, is to lift up. And the enemy wants to tear down authority in our lives, but God is saying, listen, if you'll honor that, if you'll have a healthy fear of God, then what will happen, like James 1.5 says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. exercise wisdom the last thing is this is just do what's right no matter the cost do what's right no matter the cost Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says and let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. James 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Wait a minute, James. Like, you're telling me if I I don't do what's right, that's sin? Okay, James, that, this, doesn't, this doesn't make sense. I mean, I know, like, if I lie, that's sin. If I commit adultery, okay, that's sin. Like, I, I, I see that. That makes sense in my mind. But what you're telling me here, James, you're saying that whoever knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, it's a powerful warning, but you had a great way to end do what's right no matter the cost should we be loving moral ethical people yes we should be doing good with every person that we come in contact with listen this isn't about serving Jesus just on Sundays this is about serving Jesus Monday through Sunday every day but many times what happens is our deliberate disobedience is sin Well, that's somebody else's responsibility Oh, I I wasn't asked to do that. But we know. We know in our spirit. Like, we know what we're supposed to do. We know what is right in that moment, but we choose not to do it. We say, oh, they didn't ask. That person authority didn't ask. Or this moment didn't happen. James calls that sin. But the beauty of it is, is that in the midst of that, we can still run back to a loving Savior's arms. And listen, I understand that doing the right thing many times is often countercultural in today's society of what's in it for me, right? However, this is exactly what the Lord encourages us to do. We get to choose to love and to serve others by putting their needs before our own. And in those moments, what happens is is we actually lead happier and more fulfilled lives when we're actually accomplishing what God has actually called us to do because we're doing what's right no matter the cost. It's doing what's right in every circumstance. That not only blesses us but it blesses our friends our neighbors and even our enemies so what do we learn from Shippa and Pua we learn to not let opposition get us down it's gonna come but don't let it get you down We learn to fear God no matter the cost. Like, no matter what's happening, we're just going to fear God. We're not going to worry about fear of man. We're going to fear God. We're going to exercise wisdom. We're going to trust God in these moments. We're going to use wisdom with the way we speak and our actions and the things that we do. We're going to exercise wisdom. We're going to put it into action. And we're going to do what's right no matter the cost. My prayer to you today is this, is that you would be a shippah and a puah. That today you would be a hidden figure who behind the scenes would say, I'm going to trust God rather than trusting man. I'm gonna, I don't care about what man may say. I'm going to exercise wisdom in it. I'm going to understand my settings. I'm going to understand what's happening. But man, I am going to fear God more than fear man. I'm going to be a hidden figure. And who knows what stage you may be setting. For Shippa and Buah, they were setting the stage so that Moses, the deliverer, could be born. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I ask you to do that not because of any special thing, but just because it kind of eliminates distractions around. If you could just stay tight for just a moment. Father, I pray over every person here within the sound of my voice. Those watching online, those here in this room, the hidden figures. This room is filled with hidden figures. People have trusted you in their lives, taken steps. Father, I just speak a blessing over every person here. God, I pray that as opposition would come against them, God, I pray that your spirit would just begin to rise up inside of them. God, that they would recognize, God, that they would have a hunger for you that's greater than the things of this world. A hunger for you that would be greater than emotion or feelings. A hunger that would just say, man, I just, no matter what the opposition, no matter how I feel, God is still God. Father, I pray that you would help them to exercise wisdom in their marriages, their relationships with others, their friendships, in their workplaces, God, in relationships with neighbors, with family. God, give us your wisdom. Help us to exercise your wisdom, God, where we would fear you rather than fearing man. God, that you would give us the right words to say in moments, God, where we would face opposition. Help us to walk in faith and to do what's right no matter the cost. To be men and women who choose to do what's right no matter the cost. May that resonate in our hearts today that we're victors we win, that you've already paid the price for our freedom, and we can be victorious. God, you sent your Holy Spirit not to be something that would just be a feeling or emotion, not just something that we would experience ourselves, not just something that we would go and just long for and hunger for. No, God, you filled us with your Holy Spirit so we would be empowered to then go and share, to then go and do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, may you have your way in our hearts and our lives. May you activate inside of us an empowerment to go and activate inside of us an empowerment to speak. God, activate inside of us a faith that would look to the sick and would say, be thou healed in the name of Jesus, and they would be healed. God, give us faith, God, to look at those who are hurting and to say, I know the one." the one who's changed my life I know the one who's changed my marriage, I know the one who's changed my family, I know the one who's changed my outlook on life and he is greater than anything of this world and that we would empower others to go and make disciples may our hearts cry be of that very thing to make disciples. Help us to press through the opposition. Help us to fear you, God, rather than man. Help us to exercise wisdom and help us to do what's right, no matter the cost. In Jesus' name.